of time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? Conventional wisdom says it's jump the shark and all become rather silly. But we're going to carry on making this show anyway. You're not turning me into a fish. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark and welcome to All of Time and Space. This one's an absolute doozy, so let's not mess around. Let's get straight into the story. When the TARDIS lands on a deserted volcanic island, the Doctor and his companions find themselves kidnapped by primitive sea people. Taken into the bowels of the earth, they discover they are in the lost kingdom of Atlantis. Offered sacrifices to the fish goddess Amdo, the Doctor and his companions are rescued from the jaws of death by the famous scientist Zaroff. But they're still not safe, and nor are the people of Atlantis, for Zaroff has a plan. A plan that will make him the greatest scientist of all time. Even if it means destroying the world. And we'll be back with our very special guest after this. But Professor, yes, even supposing you succeeded, you know what will happen, don't you? You tell me, Doctor. When the water will be converted into superheated steam, the pressure will grow and crack the crust of the Earth. Destroy all life, maybe even blow the planet apart. Yes, and I shall have redeemed my promise to lift Atlantis from the sea. Lift it to the sky. It will be magnificent. Yes. Bang! 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 Like so. Yes. Just one small question. Why do you want to blow up the world? Why? You, a scientist, ask me why? The achievement, my dear doctor. The destruction of the world. The scientist's dream of supreme power. And welcome back. And we have been joined by friend of the show, Deb Green. Hello, Deb. Hello. How delightful to have you back. It's good to be back. We've missed you. Oh, I've missed you. Oh. Should we have a group hug? Oh, Actually, no, yeah. I've got COVID at the moment, so that's probably oh, not no, a good idea, not, is it? Yeah, yeah. We could have a socially distanced hug. <laughs> Bring your own booze. <laughs> yeah. A virtual high five. There we go. <laughs> well, Deb, you lucked out last time. You got the story that was voted the second best in the uh, the series. Well, how do you feel it's worked out for you this time? Uh, well, put it this way. I, I watched it. I, um, I went to my parents for a week and I watched it the first time with my dad. Um, who had just been to hospital to have a needle stuck in his eye and it hurt quite oh, a lot and he was jeebus. in a, uh, a bit of pain. And when I asked him the next day, I said, so what was worse, having the needle stuck in your eye or watching the Doctor Who? He had to think about it for a while. Oh, wow. Mm. Well, keep that thought in your mind. Mm. Ian. Hello. <laughs> How are we all? Um, well, I've got, you know. uh, I've got a little something for Deb which is akin to having a needle thrust in your eye. <laughs> it's time once again, Deb, for you to face the mind probe. Not the mind probe. Oh, how fantastic. Wow, she, she gave that a full Jericho, didn't she? She certainly did. I, I, it's yeah. a good thing you couldn't see me because I was actually doing a little dance that time. Oh, my that's, goodness. <laughs> that's how much I love the mind probe. Now then, uh, to business, Deb. Um, mm. Satisfy the mind probe and you will be returned to your customary time and place at the end of the show. But if you fail the challenge, my leering henchman, Covidy Castellan Cockrum here, is itching <laughs> to toss you into the time lash. Yeah, can't wait. 
So we have a straightforward four-part quiz because it's a straightforward four-part story. Are you ready for question one? Okay. Okay. Question one. Which menace to society first appeared on the 17th of March 1951? What? Mm. 17th of March 1951? That is the date. I don't know. <gasps> the answer is Dennis the Menace. Ah. Oh. You see, this is a Sunday. I've got to go to work tomorrow. I'm thinking work, time lash. <laughs> That's why we do it on the oh, Sunday. You need to get your priorities menace, right here, Deb. Yeah. Menace to society. I mean, I'm happy. We're already, you know, a good way towards me getting to uh, push you into the tinsel. <laughs> well, let's move on to question two. Name the hotel that sits at the far end of the Palm Jumeirah looking back at the island in Dubai. I know, I've never been to Dubai. I mean, it's been on TV and everything. Hold on a minute, I'm Googling. Dubai. I'm not entirely sure that's within the rules, but we'll let it it play out because I'm not a cruel man. Would it be right for me to guess that it might, the name of this hotel may have something to do with Menace or Underwater by any chance? Um, No, there is a a third option that I've gone for. The? because I've, I've really struggled <laughs> with uh, finding... I'm starting to get that so impression. So why do you ask me questions about Jason Isaacs? Because... Oh, because we know you're going to ace it, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. It's your specialist subject. If you ever go on Mastermind, that would be your specialist, yeah, wouldn't it, surely? Mm. It's a Caesar's Palace. It's the Atlantis. And oh. if, you've, if you've got a spare £100, I can recommend their all-day brunch. Um, but you'll probably want to take a week off eating and drinking after that. Moving along to question three. What was the 41st film in the Disney animation canon? Ah, it's going to be something to do with the sea, isn't it? I like your thinking. Hmm. No pressure, Deb, but you've already got two wrong, yeah, so... Uh... This, this, you need to get these both right to sort of... Um, Animated film. Animated film. Number 41. Do I get a clue? Um, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Is it Atlantis? It is Atlantis. It is Atlantis. <sighs> I got the theme. I got the theme. You've, got, you've, you've, you've seen the... You've, you've, lo- you've peered up the wizard's sleeve and you've seen how the trick is prepared. We have one more question. If you get this right, we'll call it a score draw and you will okay. be you will be safe. Is the answer Atlantis again? It, it might be, yes, but I still want to read the question <laughs> because it's very funny. Uh, name the 11th studio album by Norwegian hard rock band TNT. Oh, Atlantis? Well, who would have guessed we had a fan of the Norwegian rock group TNT on the show? That wow. Is, wow. Uh, oh, it doesn't surprise me at all, because Deb seems to me every inch the hard rocker. Absolutely. Well, that's... Yeah. that's Only Norwegian. <laughs> it was all started with a ha. Yeah. Yeah, it's all been downhill since then. Well, you've, you've, uh, I would say you've, you've certainly drawn level. So we'll call that a win. Well done. Uh, the crown is yours. Do I get the yours. morning in the time lash though? Do I get the morning off work? Um, it's up to you if you want to. We can write you a note for you to forward to your, you know, your your boss. Deb cannot come to work this morning because she's in a time lash. Yep, covered in tinsel. <laughs> yeah, and she's stuck in 1852 or whenever it was. I don't know. <laughs> We're all going to be in 1852 if the world carries on as is. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, the underwater menace. Where to start? This is our first chance to see Patrick Troughton moving properly mm. an actual episode, <laughs> which is a nice thing to have because I think he brings a lot of his performances very visual. Would you agree? Yes. <laughs> well, thanks, Deb. Uh, it's been lovely <laughs> having you on. And uh, next time, right? No, I, I um I actually listened to the um the extras 
in the oh, interviews yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they had um, um, a bit of information about Patrick. There was also um, on the DVD a bit from his his son as well. One of his sons, mm -hmm. Michael. Yeah. Um, but I, I I really like Patrick Troughton. And but um, when you actually hear the audio commentary, you can see how much he's developing as well the character. Uh, and being the first one, uh, regenerated Doctor, seeing how he's developing, because he could have just carried on and, and done the same character, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And then seeing the whimsical nature, his height as well, and yeah. how he used that. Yeah. I think this one, <clears throat> I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that it doesn't necessarily have the uh, the best reputation of all the classic stories <laughs> uh, but that said I think since the most recently discovered episode came back I think it has had a, a bit of a rehabilitation I think it's it goes a long way to to show at what point Patrick Troughton was in that sort of transformation into the role of the Doctor I think you get some really beautiful comic moments in this. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. And they rise with the fish masks. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the DVD um, describes, in one of the maddest Doctor Who stories ever, writer Jeffrey Orme reimagines the programme as a heightened comic book disaster movie on a shoestring budget. It's a bold move, one which has divided fans since 1967. <laughs> there is much to, to enjoy, however. Patrick Troughton is finessing the role of the second Doctor and there are some wonderful character moments throughout. Mr Orme, when he was uh, coming up with a script for this, I'm wondering if he might have just happened across an old Stingray script <laughs> and has just kind of crossed out a few of the names and written in the Doctor, <laughs> Ben and Polly. I mean, it even comes down to the eyebrows with the uh, the guy that's <sighs> about to try and do the, the operation. Yes, yes. You can only see the strings on the swimmers, though. You can't otherwise... Mm, not on the actors, mm. although they're doing their best. I mean, there's a lot of excuses, aren't they, that I read about why it's so bad. Yeah, it did get moved around in the schedules quite a lot because it was going to be one of the early episodes, the early stories, and then it got moved around. And I, I um, heard it got rejected, but then the replacement couldn't go ahead because the writer yeah. was ill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were so stories. They, yeah. It's quite a common thing at this point in the show's history where stories seem to fall through. Mm. And that only seems to get worse as the, as the seasons go on for poor old Patrick. The script editor gets quite a lot to do trying to just assemble something that's going to work. So, but Listen to the audio commentary, though, the way that they recorded it. Yeah. Um, it not long before broadcast, and a lot of it um, was like a live... Um, show uh, mm. the sound quite often had to be piped into the studio. Yes, they were very time constrained. Yeah. The lights went off at ten o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of think it's pretty amazing that they managed to produce anything, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if they did have to resort to ashtrays on their heads. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, you've been very quiet. I'm a bit worried. I have been very quiet, haven't I, Mark? When mm. when did you first encounter this story? I think it would have been the audio because um, I did have quite a number of Target books, but this wasn't one of them. So yeah, it would have been the audio. Okay. Yeah. How did With it? A bit of narration. How did it come across on audio? Maybe it's because I hadn't sort of had too much of people sort of knocking me over the head with "Oh, this is terrible! It's terrible!" I just found it to be a a pretty sort of run-of-the-mill fun romp. Run-of-the-mill fun romp. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I think for me it would have been the Target book, which I probably got when it was published, so I, I think we're talking okay. 1988. And right. it's one of those Target books that I read precisely once, and it, it, didn't, ah. it didn't really move me either way. Um, oh. So, uh, watching it uh, for this is the first mm -hmm. time I would say as a notional adult that um, the <laughs> story has crossed my my brain pan hmm so I know you've had issues since you moved over to uh, 
the United States of America, their version of BritBox is a bit different from ours, so you don't have quite the same access as you had before. So have you had to use slightly nefarious means to, to watch it? Or? I think I had to buy it from the Apple Store, which cost me uh, £12.99. Mm-hmm. And I only got two episodes and, and two uh, two, wow. uh, two animations. Or possibly yeah, I mean, one of them might have actually been photographs. I'm not sure. Deb, bless her, she uh, she bit the bullet and actually paid out for the, the DVD like I have. Right. I mean, I don't wish to sound mean, but it felt like there was very, very little effort done with the, the recon on this one. Some recons can be really impressive, but this, they didn't even bother to put on the... Um, the opening credits or anything it was just yes no that is the same as what i watched yes um yeah which did feel a little bit like we were being shortchanged but also i feel like the episodes were slightly longer than uh than Mm. they you know than the normal i think episode one was something like 27 minutes unless i'm talking absolute scarf it probably just felt longer (laughs) (laughs) So what do you make of uh, this TARDIS team, Deb? Because last time we had you on, it was a bit of an unusual one because we didn't really have a any of the regular cast in it. So it was all no. new characters. So what do you make of... I guess you're familiar with Patrick Troughton before you've seen this. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Patrick Troughton. I haven't seen loads of mm-hmm. any of the episodes, but... Um, yeah, he's, he, he just brought so much character and humour... Mm. into the role um but um yeah poor polly um yeah her character seems to vary quite a bit from story to story we're finding so some stories she's this really plucky intelligent young woman who is quite capable of looking after herself and then in other stories depending on who's writing it she's this you know Helpless, mm. screaming woman. Don't turn me into rescued. a fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She has a point, um, though. I want a T-shirt yeah, so with that on it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that could be a whole new line of merch. Mm. We should do that. We should have some right. merch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we've got Ben, Polly, and Jamie. This is Jamie's first trip in the TARDIS. Yes, um, and the Scottish accent. <laughs> Hmm, yes. And, and, um, and the kilt. <laughs> so this was written before they knew that Jamie was going to be on board, so I think they had had to transpose some of Ben's lines over to Jamie, which I'm sure would have gone down really well with Michael Craze, <laughs> uh, who played Ben. I mean, what do you make of this this dynamic, this team? Do you like them? Or? Uh it's difficult to judge, isn't it, on this one? Because mm. um, it was quite claustrophobic, really, to have that yeah. many um, companions. Whereas, sort of now, they would split up much more. Um, and it literally was, I think, the set was tiny. Um, and, you know, as you said, they hadn't prepared to have Jamie. So he was always tagging along, sort of being chucked a few lines. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I would. Um, I would need to see the next episode. I should have to, won't I? Oh, yes. Yeah. It does... Um, I know it's, uh, one of the other actors um, who was actually uh, th- one of the eyebrow men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was actually a Scottish guy. Looked a bit like um, uh, Robin Cook oh. with the goatee. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it was an amazing goatee, actually. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, he must have slapped him about a bit and said... <laughs> Sort your accent out. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay is um, not necessarily a fan of, as uh, she'd call some professional Scots. <laughs> I don't think she was uh, the, the biggest fan of Jamie, has to be said. No, I can imagine what Lindsay mm. would say. Mm. So, I mean, I think, controversially, I kind of think this is fun. I suppose it depends on how you like your Doctor Who. If if you take it deadly seriously and you want it to be really high stakes and uh, gripping drama, then it's probably not going to be for you. But if you like a bit of fun and, you know, it's our first of what will be many trips to Atlantis over the intervening years, um, you've got the... Uh, I, yeah, 
I think they're reasonably realised fish people on a on a shoestring budget. I think they're very good for the for the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a bit worried the cardboard eyes though might sort of fall a bit of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, they they that swimming sort of turn into porridge and sort of drift away, and there'd be um, there'd be a lot of unpleasant matter in the in the tank they were filming in, which incidentally mm. I understand was in fact the case. Yes, mm. well, I, um, mm. I heard it was pretty filthy before they even got in there, and then mm. yeah. of course the swimming shots—you um, can see the wires. But you, mm. you know, we. Um, Considering the times and the limitations that they had to do the costumes, uh, they must have been pretty imaginative to, to come up with anything in the time that they had, considering mm. this was not going to be filmed and then it was going to be filmed. Um, do you have any idea of how much time that would have actually been? I, I, I got the idea it was weeks rather than mm. months. Yeah. I mean, I don't think... Had they had, you know, six months to knock something up, that we'd have got anything much better. I mean, the the costumes did the job, and um, the you know, say what you like about being able to see the wires, but when you've got an episode three with, shall we say, very little plot, uh, and you <laughs> need you need to have an underwater <laughs> ballet sequence, um, I think, you know. If I'd watched it on my iPhone, I probably wouldn't have been able to see the wires. So if mm -hmm. I'm sitting there at home in 1967 watching it on our, you know, steam-powered yeah. television set, I don't think that would have been an issue. And I think that was very well realised. I think Hugh David was initially scheduled to direct this one, who had directed The Highlanders. And he took one look at the script and just said, Yeah. There's no way that's going to happen. It's just not feasible. <laughs> so he he made <laughs> yeah. his excuses and said, no, I don't think so, not for me. And they transferred him over to the Highlanders. And um, Patrick Troughton, I nearly said Stuart then, uh, <laughs> and a few of the actors looked at the script and said, no, we're going to be a laughing mm. stock. Um, so but Julia it wasn't Smith took up the reins. Yes, I found that fascinating because, of course, mm. she went on to do EastEnders. And, yes. Um, and I was sort of imagining... Um, you know, the Angie and Den scene, you know. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Ange. Is your divorce. Nothing in the pub will stop me now. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been far better, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. the, I mean, Leslie yeah. Grantham, sometimes his eyes would get a little bulbous and, and sort of <laughs> quite marine-like. So maybe he was channeling a sort of quasi-fish person. In his performance as Dirty Dem, we will yeah. never know, sadly. Um, well, we'll get to see him in a few years' time when he uh, crops up in a Dalek story. Oh, he does, that's, doesn't that's he? That's for later. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the world of EastEnders. Um, yeah. I mean, you given his uh, his greatest line, what did you think of Zaroff then? Oh, glorious. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. glorious, yeah. I mean, the actors, they gave everything they could. And they could have really hammed it up, and mm -hmm. well, he, he he was bordering on it, wasn't I was he? Say, particularly he on that line, <laughs> on that I mean, line, and the the, the scenery about, was quite thin as it was, so him chewing yeah. it didn't probably help. But you know, no, yeah, yeah. And then there was the, uh, um, why do you want to blow up the world? The destruction of the world, every scientist's dream of supreme mm. power, and. To be honest, I never saw that in Stephen Hawking. I mean, <laughs> but I guess we. Did. I wonder what all those buttons on the wheelchair did. <laughs> this one collapses a neutron star and destroys the Earth. <laughs> but we we did see echoes of that with Davros, didn't we? He was yeah. when he was first yeah. introduced. He was mulling over the concept of holding in my hand a capsule. You know, Davros is okay. I went to the Doctor Who exhibition. Oh um, yeah, the, the live thing in mm -hmm. London a couple of months ago and uh, it's brilliant if you've not been on it you go on different uh, routes depending on where you walk or what uh -huh. group you're in and I sort of wandered from one to the other and the first room I went into there was Davros oh. and to be honest I'd say he was pretty misunderstood he was fine to us yeah I mean he, he didn't was give you the willies no no he, he no. told us I think he said to, that we had to go to Gallifrey oh uh, mm. 
So he was a sort he, of tour guide, was he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was all. That was all. He's just misunderstood. I've always liked Davros. Um, going back to Zaroff, I was mm. um, having lunch with Daniel Craig uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were talking about the kind of four qualities you, that you need to have in a Bond villain. And mm. he identified that they need to be clever. They need to be yeah. a bit handy if there's a, a physical altercation. They yeah. need a silly accent. Mm-hmm. And they need to be completely mad as a box of frogs. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So, yeah, I think Zaroff is an absolute textbook Bond villain. Um, he really is. Possibly the, the first we've seen <laughs> in the show. <laughs> Compared to Paul Darrow's um, attempt at Richard III... Um, oh my goodness, many yeah. <laughs> he, he certainly doesn't overplay. Wait, you had lunch with Daniel Craig. I was, I was jesting. Yes, it was, it was, it was Pierce Brosnan. Uh, no, <laughs> Jason Isaacs. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was there. He was uh, the tour guide. Oddly enough, he just told us to go to Gallifrey. At least I think that's what he said. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Zaroff for me, it was. Um, the, it was a perfectly pitched performance for the story he found himself in. Had he, you know, had he been in Genesis of the Daleks, he'd have appeared to be, shall we say, over-egging the pudding. But I think in the context of the underwater menace, he was uh, absolutely bang on the money. Well, he had to live up to the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, it's not the first time we've seen um, some egregious eyebrow action in Doctor Who. I'm thinking of the... <laughs> Space Museum, and then again with um, the red-haired gentleman who bothered the Colin Baker in Spain. I'm, I want to say that he had some eyebrows going on as well. It's um, it, when you when you Shock think eye of or the Quansing grip. That's the man, Mark. That's the man. Mm. When you think of you know the the Star Trek franchise and how they go about creating alien races based on having a bit of latex on their face or you know a, a furrowed brow or a, a weird growth or an extra nose or, or whatever then just doing something inventive with eyebrows is a, a very 1960s BBC equivalent you know it's cheap but effective. it just had me uh, wanting to go and watch Jerry Anderson really it was uh, <laughs> very impressive <laughs> Uh, considering the limitations and also I mean the thing about um, any sort of fantasy sci-fi is you need to use your imagination and so I don't want to be too critical really of um, of of the way it looked because you know you're right again you know we're watching it on modern uh, computers and TVs and um, and the technology wasn't really there, and that the fact that they they couldn't edit the sound in after. Yeah. I, yeah, I think they. <laughs> they did the best you, of what they could. You just have to go with it, don't you? Sometimes, yeah. and uh, have a little giggle. Yeah. Yeah, I. I, I thought the guest cast overall was was pretty decent. <laughs> I was going to yeah. have a little giggle. I'm, I've I've found my notes here, and I've I've written down oh, precisely yeah. six notes on this story. Oh, one right. of which that many th- that many one of which simply reads pervy rubber sex men <laughs> what did we think of that bit of costume action um i mean you know i'm not judging if that's your cup of tea that's fine is this when they were in the um in their wetsuits in the wetsuits yeah because they didn't have enough costumes that's why the costumes didn't uh, they changed oh. a bit I might be misremembering here, but I'm sure I've heard somewhere that Joe Orton famously in his diaries uh, wrote something about finding uh, Jamie quite attractive in his uh, his rubber wetsuit. Yeah, Joe Orton's from Leicester. Is he? That explains a lot. That does. Very popular in Leicester, <laughs> Fraser Hines. He can't, he can't walk around unmolested in Leicester. Mm. Well, if we will go walking around in a kilt, I mean, that's just asking for well, trouble. It's a very the- short... It's the marriage of the kilt and the wetsuit that I find so un- unspeakably erotic. I didn't notice that. Did he have the quilt on, the kilt on outside the wetsuit? Yep. No, inside, obviously, okay. I mean. Yeah. Is that a sporran in your wetsuit, or are you just having a massive <laughs> Apparently the guy that played Damon, who was the guy with um, the goatee, I think... Oh, uh, right. 
Max Cordlespeen in the restaurant at the end of the universe. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, no, it was... Um, yeah, oh, God. Oh, another one, was it? I'm, tr- I'm trying to... I'm, the priest. I'm trying to click my fingers and remember the... Go- Colin Jevons. Mm, um, yes. Now, when I was... I think I'd have been about five or six when I first watched Hitchhiker, and that guy absolutely terrified me. He was so mm. sort of sibilant and over the top and sort of slimy mm. and and yeah. but watching watching this you discover it's it's not the way he was playing that character he just always comes across much the same <laughs> way um so that was that was interesting and informing if colin's lawyers are listening uh, those are the views of ian martin and not necessarily <laughs> of aotas and lolan was plays by uh, christopher biggins well, yeah, might as well have been. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the Celestial Toy Maker, I think, but uh, oh. glorious. He, I mean, he was he's, only he's on for two s- scenes, but absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Wow, he's been in two legendary episodes. Mm. He was the priest, I think. I thought the girl that helped him out was quite good. I yeah, she was, um, Ara, Ara, Ara. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was only sixteen. Was she really? really? Oh, didn't she go out with? I think I want to say that someone that maybe presented. You're going to suggest she went out with Fraser Hines. I don't know because um, they all did at some. I'm point, pretty sure they? that there was like an introduction to my um, Apple TV purchase of this, which was a, a member of the cast, and he was saying something about going out with her, or she went out with someone, but I can't yeah, remember. I got, I, and again, I, mean, it, it, I might be remem- misremembering the Highlanders. No, I'd, well, I think you could probably correct in, in both counts because he um, had an eye for the ladies, should we just put it that way? I think that's possibly why he and Patrick Troughton got on so well. But, <laughs> yes. We won't go into that. It was interesting, actually, in the uh, on the DVD, the interview with uh, Michael Troughton because mm-hmm. he'd written a book about his dad. Which um, I've read. It's and good. he didn't sort of gloss over the mm, reputation no. his dad had. Uh, well, no, it's reputation. Very honest, um, what his dad did. <laughs> yeah, it must be quite difficult, especially from within the family, because um, you're obviously going to be conscious of upsetting people within multiple families. But uh, it's a really good book. I'd certainly recommend giving it a read. And it's such a fascinating story to that you know he sort of had these two separate families on the go, streets apart. Mm. It's it's one of these sort of sign of the times things. I mean, we we look at it now and we think what terrible behaviour, blah blah blah. At the time in the sixties, I'm sure we'd have all just said, "Oh, what a what a what a scamp he is! Can't keep his sausage in his pocket." Oh well, never mind. <laughs> um, it's very BBC in many ways. <laughs> hmm. I was hmm. just uh, reading Wikipedia. Oh, well, we haven't got that long. I mean, there's quite a lot of pages on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I'm, on, I'm, on page th- oh, I'm on page three. Oh, oh. <laughs> are there any? Are there any naughty bosoms? No. Oh, that's disappointing. Ooh. It's not as good as it was. Apparently, <laughs> Catherine Howe. Yeah. No, is that it? Is that her name? Yeah, Catherine Howe used mm. to sing songs on That's Life. Oh. And that wasn't even my emergency anecdote. Oh. We're coming to that. That's on standby. Yeah, that depends. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Howe was the was the young lady. Ara. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. yeah. She was a good singer. Mm. She was very accomplished. I mean, as you know, as as we know, she was sixteen when she did it, but it was a a, a very mature uh, performance. Yes, I mean, her character had more to do than Polly, really. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and it was presumably a very great showcase for a lot of people who got that sort of opportunity. Obviously, in most stories, the extras and the, the supporting artists are very much background fluff. But uh, in this one, yes, you're right. She absolutely uh, took over from Polly, who sort of spent the whole time shouting or screaming or trying not up. to be turned into a fish well yeah you know nobody wants that um <laughs> especially with her she did i, I, I want to say in part one she still had uh, some kind of interesting hairdo and to jeopardize that elaborate barnet 
by turning her into a fish, I think that would have been really quite sad. Mm. Mm. And she'd have been through makeup as well. <laughs> they did shove that hat on her head, which um, it was an ashtray. Wasn't the most flattering, was it? Yeah. It honestly was an ashtray. I heard that <laughs> in two interviews. <laughs> Good lord! Well, that's what the shell bits were, weren't they? They were. Um, yeah, the hat basically bits. Basically, just sewed them together. Uh, well, I think we come back to they did a good job in the three days they had to design yeah. this. And actually, while we're on the subject, let's talk about the sets because hmm. I think the sets are very good. And ag- again, they wouldn't have had very long to cobble them together. But the the sort of the the uh, yeah, the lab set is quite sort of futuristic. The, the lab's it? a good lab. It's got depth. It's yeah. it's bigger mm-hmm. than it needed to be. The uh, Amdo sort of, is you know suitably yeah. The, Godlike. the shrine to Ando is uh, very impressive. Great big, yeah, great big face sticking out the wall. I mean, they do they do a reasonable job of making it look quite. You could imagine you could walk into a cave and see that. Unfortunately, the uh, the door that just sort of comes out from where they've just been hiding behind looks very much like a sort of standard piece of MDF, <laughs> which slightly ruins the uh, the illusion but that's somewhat. that's how ad- advanced they were in the kingdom of atlantis uh. they had <laughs> embraced mdf and related mm. construction products uh. centuries mm, before uh, we in the western mm. world got you know home base and what have you it was plankton <laughs> based wasn't it <laughs> Plank- plankton wood yeah brilliant oh dear yeah, I mean, as as plots go, it's um, relatively thin, has to be said. Although, you know, the stakes don't get much higher than the entire destruction of the world, so there is that. That's very true. I think, have can anyone remember the last time we encountered uh, a straightforward villainous scheme like, I want to destroy the world? Hmm... Because hmm. I'm not sure. Obviously, it's a trope now, looking back. Yeah. But at the time, I don't remember. I suppose Daleks' invasion of Earth. They, well, they didn't want to. They just wanted to destroy the Earth by. They just wanted to hotwire the Earth, yeah, and, mm. and, and drive yeah. it around the, the Tesco car park of space. Um, and you've had various people trying to take over humanity, or you know, hypnotically enslave people. But I think mm-hmm. this is the first time. Uh, and you know people are probably shouting at the uh, podcast right now <laughs> pointing out the nine times I've forgotten about but it feels like the first time you've had a sort of honest to godness lunatic who wants to just destroy everything because he he thinks he can hmm. there, there was a backstory I don't know if it was in the novel or whether it was uh, in it didn't come through hmm. um, but uh, apparently it was because his wife and daughter got killed that he went completely mad Ah. Obviously, that wasn't in the yeah. TV. I think if that had been fleshed out a bit more, that would have certainly given his character a little bit more depth. Yeah, it wouldn't as have been fun as funny. he is. I mean, yes, it wouldn't have been as fun. Great, but um, yeah, I think that's very sad. I mean, a, a lot of people, you know, have these disasters, and uh, you know, things get on top of them, and and they do temporarily lose themselves to some degree. But surely, if he'd just given yeah. it a couple of years and maybe started dating. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, placed a small ad in a newspaper, you know. Or even counselling. Good sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Fish owner. Nice tunic, you know. (laughs) Enjoys swimming. Uh, Sexy eyebrows. Yeah, sexy eyebrows. (laughs) And his his were normal, so... uh, Yeah, they were, weren't they? But they were still pretty bushy. Yeah, they they had a, a hirsute splendour, all of their own. Um... But uh, yeah, no, I think it 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 does go on to be a kind of shorthand in the show that you you get these maniacs who are bent on sort of destruction purely because it's like a a, a game or an intellectual exercise. Um, and so so for the benefit of anyone listening who hasn't seen the Underwater Menace, the plan was he was going to. Send all the seawater into the Earth's molten core. Mm. He promised to raise Atlantis. He promised didn't to he? raise he was, Atlantis. Yeah. That's right. So by mm. getting rid of all of the sea, he was going to. Um, mm. Now, so already, and I'm not a scientist, and I don't claim, <laughs> I don't claim any sort You're of not. superior knowledge. That's a good job well, because apparently all scientists want to destroy the world. Well, so mm. here's what I would do. 
if if I was in his position and I I wanted to raise Atlantis, I go you, to the pub, order a pint, wait for it to all blow over. Well, that's the, that's my plan B. That's always my plan right, B yeah. in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, you know, in a, in a kettle, you get those little elements. Yeah, I would just make a really big one of those, pop uh-huh. it in the ocean, and plug it yeah. in. And slowly... You'd have to remove the safety cut-off, though, wouldn't you? Because otherwise yeah. it would just reach boiling well, point hey, and stop. Well, hey, let's not get bogged down in the scientific minutiae. Let's just hear, the, hear my plan out. You, okay, you yeah, leave it sorry. there, you plug it in, and slowly, over a period of... Uh, you will boil away all of the sea without cracking the planet in half. Uh, you will have raised Atlantis. Um, yeah, with, I think yeah. there's something you've overlooked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One, where you can be eating a lot of fish, but they'd probably go a bit yeah. mouldy because you'd be mm. slow cooking them. Mm. Or you might as well just get a load of aerosols out, um, drive a few diesel cars around the place, and you'll do the same job anyway. That's a very good point. Yeah. So humanity now, here we are in, in 2020. I'm going to be vague because I don't know what year we'll actually release this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so what you're saying is that humanity now has inadvertently uh, done exactly what the undeniably insane Professor Zaroff was trying to do in, mm. in 60s TV. Mm. That's a very terrible and salutary lesson. Yeah, the real Great Reset, it's all down to Atlantis and, and Professor Zaroff. Wow. Mm. Of course, if you're going to be keep reboiling the same water over and over again, you're going to have to do some serious descaling, aren't you? That's true. You haven't thought it through. Well, you? no, you see, I had, because, oh. you know, you can get those from from like a supermarket you can get bottles of kettle descaler just get a big one of those but the fish need scales they do yeah i'm really struggling to think of anything else to say to be honest it's um it's... do you want my emergency anecdote should we activate Ooh, yeah. the emergency anecdote yes yeah activate the emergency anecdote it's very tenuous um, okay. Because I don't have any. You, I used up all my anecdotes the, the the last pod, but so it's Sam Troughton anecdote, mm-hmm. and um, so he's the grandson of Patrick yes. Troughton, of course. Was and, he in Robin Hood? Uh, yes. He, yeah. Uh, he's was very like funny. his granddad. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, and I went to the RSC. It's not even a good story now, but it's <laughs> you know it's an emergency anecdote. I yeah. went to the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company and they were doing a play uh, called The Grainstorm, which is um, about famine in Ukraine after okay. the Stalin hours. It was an incredible um, play about famine. Mm-hmm. And um, you could apply for tickets to go beforehand and sit on the stage before anyone else got there and um, have a meal. So oh. this was like part of the play. This was like the, the bit where pre-famine. Uh, so you would sit there and you'd be fed um, by the actors and sit with the actors. And um, so it was really fascinating because they were talking about the research that they'd done. And mm-hmm. But Sam Troughton didn't sit down and he didn't eat. And he oh. kept um, going around serving the food. And you know, And I said to the guy that I was chatting to, I said, why, why isn't Sam Troughton eating? And he said... His method, darling. (laughs) (laughs) I saw him at the uh, National Theatre about five or six years ago. In it was a sort of two-hander, sort of set in uh, someone's flat after a party. I wish I could remember the name of the uh, the play. It wouldn't rescue this anecdote, but it would flesh it out a bit. (laughs) Um, And I thought he was really good. Um, oh. several sections he removed his trousers um, oh. so I was able to see the, the trout and legs in all their glory he didn't do that in the play I was saw oh well I'm I'm sorry to hear that um, you know <laughs> he did give me some bread though well you know swings and roundabouts well I think unless we've got anything else to say we should give this a score I think it's a fun romp it's not the greatest story in the world, but what we can see of it is quite entertaining. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Six. And Ian? 
Well, where to begin? <laughs> I am going to give the underwater menace 10 out of 10. I what? think it's the most utterly charming story we've had so far. It's, Are you okay? It's just pure joy. It's a, it's a stunning... Hang on, I'm just on the phone romp. to social services now. <laughs> no, okay. I know. I'm flying in the face of public opinion with this. You really are. Bear in mind what you gave Power of the Daleks as well. We are going to get lynched. I, I don't care because I've, I've, I'm quite hard to track down now because I, <laughs> I move around the earth like a widow. I think it was, it was just really joyous, kind of silly, very yeah. what, we, what we call frock rather than gun. And I think as I get yeah. older, I'm leaning much more towards the kind of fun outlier stories. You prefer the frock? I do prefer the frock, and I think... I mean, I have heard that rumour. Well, um, that's not a rumour. Yeah, to see the photos. Uh, but, really? Um, they're on, they're on yeah, all over the internet. Um, okay. I just thought everything about this was really engaging, really entertaining, utterly charming. It ends on an interesting cliffhanger. Um, it's mm -hmm. got some comedy dialogue. It's, it reminded me very much of one of those um, RKO serials from the 1930s. Yeah. Um, I think it's called Voyage to the Bottom of the Ocean. Or yeah, no, sorry, no, I'm, I'm Crash Corrigan's Undersea Kingdom. Mm. And it was it was exactly that. It was it was just um, yeah. it was just joyous. I loved it. Wow. wow. Well, follow that, Deb. <laughs> it, it's it's um it's hard, isn't it? What do you compare it to? Do you compare it yeah. against other other? episodes of around that time because tell you what i'm going to let you into a little secret here deb what this will blow your mind i don't even think about it into that much of a level all i do is sit down and think how much did i personally enjoy that episode and that's all i'm i'm just rating it in its own little bubble okay six well there you go perfect <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we made of the underwater menace it's time for a bit of listener feedback I've got mail. So first of all, we have heard from Ben Schneider down in Indiana. What has Ben got to say about The Underwater Menace? The Underwater Menace is rightly maligned for several decent reasons. There's the acting, the costumes, the sets, the story, the fact that it was even made. But to me personally, I think the absolute worst thing about The Underwater Menace is the official DVD release from 2015. Specifically, the quote-unquote reconstructions of, of episodes one and four. My god, Bones, what have they done? It is astounding how bad it is. I mean, bad! The so-called reconstruction consists of a slideshow of only telesnaps and nothing else, shown in order with no image repeats, no cutting back and forth between photos, no captions or scrolling text to explain those long moments of silence. There's no zooming, no panning, definitely no animation. They didn't even tack on the surviving cliffhanger footage from episodes two and three. Hell, they didn't even tack on the opening title sequence. Sorry, what? No, they did not put on the opening titles, the Doctor Who titles. Now, the more cynical of you out there might be thinking, well, isn't this what every recon is actually like? No! No! It's not! For whatever reason, the official BBC policy for their Underwater Menace recon was to show nothing but telesnaps in the order they were taken, with no repeats or crossfades. And to hell with quality! My God, it is the worst thing to try and sit through. I mean, every argument you have ever heard about why people hate the recons can be seen here come to life in this abysmal tribute to minimal effort. And again, keep in mind, it was made and sold by the BBC, not fans, not kids doing a school project, the freaking BBC. Now, the rumors that were making the rounds at the uh, time was that the Doctor Who restoration team, those saints who walk among us, they offered to provide the BBC an all-new, high-quality, loose, uh, canon-esque recon, dot, 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 for the exact same cost as the slideshow. But apparently some suit at the BBC said, no, no, no. Now, I don't know if that's true or if that's a rumor, but honestly, the DVD results speak for themselves. It's an insult. Talk about bad acting. Well, he didn't pull any punches there, it's fair to say. 
Thank he, you, Ben. He didn't hold uh, back, did he? No. He really didn't. <laughs> uh, bless him. I have got some feedback from Twitter. Uh, first up for me is Simon Moore, at Simon Moore 72 And Simon says, I never got the recovery of episode two makes us reappraise the story. No, childish rather than whimsical. Silly rather than fun. It's also just not well crafted and it's like the guest cast are all acting in separate shows. <laughs> so uh, Simon is not a fan. Uh, next up, we've heard from Philip Edney. The Underwater Menace feels like a story that just didn't know what the author was aiming for. Some sets are great. Some look like a school musical. The acting styles don't gel at all. Troughton is being quirky. Will's hysterical. Hines and Craze are just having fun. And the guest cast performances run between High Shakespeare, Mad Camp and horrendous overacting. Thank goodness this was a one-off surrounded by two strong stories. I feel there's a bit of a theme developing here in the old uh, feedback. <laughs> Next, I have heard from 26 Glorious Years on Twitter, and their handle is at 7up6389. And 26 Glorious Years says, I'm probably in the minority having yet to view episode two. Wow. However... I confess I can happily sit through episode three to watch the great Noel Johnson at work, admire some of the set design and revel in the type of offbeat 60s quirkiness that also typified Hammer's The Lost Continent. Thank you for that. Hear, hear. Yeah. Next up, we've heard from our dear friend David Kitchen from the Doctor Who show. Uh, David says... Uh, Whilst the discovery of part two helped show us how good Troughton's performance was, it's a pretty terrible story. Lots of unbelievable characters, bad B-movie ideas, and a production which feels rushed and sloppy. The weak link of an otherwise pretty strong season. Thank you, David. And I've got a couple more to go. Uh, next up for me is Cliff Chapman at Tweets Cliff. Cliff says... From episode three alone, bad. But how many four and six parters would that be true of? Certainly was the case for Enemy of the World for years. Two puts three into context. He's talking about the recovery of episode two. Uh, it knows it is silly and funny, yet there's also some darkness. We still only have the middle. Get one or four back and it'll edge up rankings. Not a top 20 or anything, God no, obviously. <laughs> uh, but it would float somewhere in the middle rather than sink to the bottom. Ah, oh, Exactly. Nice touch there, yes. And lastly from me, we have heard from Anderson1 at HSAKOTC11. And they say, I wouldn't call it a classic, but it's good fun. Having two episodes rather than just one helps and the fact that it's a rare chance to see more of Ben, Polly and Jamie combination gives the story value, since so many of their episodes are missing. Yes, another good point there. So that's all of my Twitter feedback. Uh, next up, we're going to be hearing from the legend that is Andy Moore. Blimey, Nasha. Not long now till I've drained the ocean into the Earth's white-hot molten core and I fulfil the menace's dream of supreme power. Nothing in the world can stop me now. Oh, is that right, Dennis? Come here, my boy. You're due a whacking. Crocky is dead. This Ow. is what you Ow. get for Ow. trying to destroy the planet. Ow! Hang about, you can't do this to me. I'm Sophie Aldred. Oh, yeah? Huh? I thought you was that Chris bloke off of CBBC and the Time Team in Doctor Who magazine. You know, before it got all woke. We'd like to break in at this stage and point out that the views of Dennis's dad do not reflect those of the management. Thank you. Another thing. Why aren't we Scottish? Don't ask me. We should surely be Scottish, right? I suppose so. If anything, I'm getting more and more cockney with every word. Lovely jubbly. Apples and pears. Cup of Rosie. Well, what did we make of that? <laughs> Up to his usual standard. Excellent. I, he is a bit again, of a genius. He's knocked it out of the park. 
He really has. <laughs> I, must, he really has. I must steal him to appear on some kind of other podcast that I mm. may or may not mm. be developing. If only, if only you had something else mm. on the go, Ian. If only, there was, mm. if only that was the case. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so, Ian, who have you heard from? So, I have heard from uh, MTSM, uh, who is at JohnMTSM21 on the Twitters. He says, mm. of the story The Underwater Menace, it's silly fun. In what other story could a character say, you're not turning me into a fish? <laughs> it's worth it for that alone. I'm confused by Zaroff's worry over a water-based theme park, though. Nothing in SeaWorld can stop me now. Well, some of those orcas are right buggers, I suppose. All in all, it's an over-the-top bit of silliness, and sometimes it's okay to have a romp. I'd happily have a romp with Polly. Mmm, Polly. Sorry, might have gone off on a bit of a tangent there. Got a bit sidetracked. John, you are not alone, um, no. and I do hope you get cured. I've also heard from Anthony Carroll, who says, No love for it, I'm afraid. Troughton, the only saving grace, should sink mm. beneath the ME waves. I don't oh get dear. that. I don't get what... Missing episode. Oh, should sink beneath the missing episode wave. Anthony is uh, a huge follower of the missing episodes saga. Right. Um, so for him to come out and say that is uh, that's that's very damning. Yeah. I do feel in in a, a in a hell of a minority. Everyone yes. everyone seems to be awfully cross at what is a, mm. a, a hugely fun mm. four parter. If but nothing else, though, it, it's it's Patrick Troughton developing the character, yeah. and I think it's worth seeing just for that. Even if the story yeah. is a bit silly, because you can see how he's pushing things and mm. put yeah making it his yeah lovely and deb who have you heard from i have um this is tblw which is toku bl Whovian. it's underrated fun and better than the majority of new who stories Ooh, controversial well, there you go <laughs> nathan bottomley Yay! Our, first <laughs> <laughs> our first chance to see pat in action these days and he's absolutely magnificent yes he is yes no Luke. arguments there. <laughs> Luke says, This is the story that I think would benefit most from an animation. It's conceptually very ambitious. <laughs> I'm missing front teeth. This is really hard to say. <laughs> it's conceptually very ambitious and would give animators a lot of creative breath to come up with something distinctive. Good point. Well, thank you all so much for getting in touch. And if you would like to comment on a future episode... All the various ways and means are listed over our end credits. So before Deb goes, we are going to do a bit of recommending. Oh, lovely. Ian, what would you like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, but the first thing I'd like to recommend is that we get some sort of jingle that says, recommend, 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 <laughs> where we recommend <laughs> recommending corner. Um, All right, well, you send me that file and I'll add it I'm in. turning into Alan Partridge now. <laughs> Recommending Corner. Um, I have uh, recently watched all of uh, Stephen Moffat's new TV show, The Time Traveller's Wife, based Ooh. on the novel The Time Traveller's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. Is it a bit good? Um, it is... Oh, you've, you've asked a question there. It's a very different beast to the book. Um, mm -hmm. it's not without its charms if you like seeing the very buff actor Theo James rolling around naked covered in baby oil quite a lot then oh I think goodness. it's got something for for you there um, <laughs> I very much enjoyed watching Rose Leslie um, I believe is her name she was in Game of Thrones a hundred years ago um, as the uh, as the heroine and on the whole, I think it was uh, a kind of interesting experiment, and I very much recommend it. Um, I quite enjoyed the fact that the bloke turns up naked when he time travels. There you go, you see. But I'm a perv. Well, <laughs> well, I'm shocked, absolutely shocked, Deb. I couldn't, I can't believe it. It's a lot better uh, than the film. Ah, uh, I have heard that. Yeah, I suppose really you've got the time to be able to give that story the room it needs to breathe um, whereas you're constrained 
I know movies seem to go on forever and ever these days, but even so, you're a it's bit hard limited, aren't you? because of the time shifts and making the story flow when you've got these yeah. different. And and I think Moffat does that really well. Yeah, he's got a little bit of experience in doing that from from something he did before. Yeah, I mean in in. <laughs> Yeah, eludes me at the in, moment. In your defence, yes, he has. Oh, chalk, he, he has had fifteen years of telling this exact story already, <laughs> yeah. so he was the perfect person yeah, to bring it to the yeah. screen. Uh-huh. Um, but, he, okay. but he does it well. Well, I've got a couple of recommendations. Well, three actually. Uh, the first one, as you may have gathered, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I've not been feeling that great, so I have been having a bit of audiobook therapy. And uh, I went back to something I haven't listened to for a very, very long time. But uh, it's rather like a, a warm, cosy blanket that you could just wrap around yourself. And it's just, it's, it's like a sort of audio balm for the senses. Um, so I am going to recommend the audiobook of The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Oh, I was just writing Deb, that Deb, down. I was, writing that, oh. I was writing that down thinking that sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, I suppose it's, it's aimed, I suppose, more as a children's book. <clears throat> um, he was inspired, apparently, when back in the 80s, when he saw his two-year-old riding around on a tricycle in the local graveyard. He was just happily playing and not at all spooked out. He thought, well, that would be a, a good start for a book. So it's, it's like a modern-day retelling of The Jungle Book but swapping out tigers and uh, panthers and snakes for vampires and werewolves and ghouls and ghosts and things. And he does a really great job of reading it. He's just got this really beautiful voice that's just like velvet and you can just sit back and enjoy. It's, uh, it's a great book. If you've got Audible, then uh, it's available on that and I'm sure it's available elsewhere. So yes, Neil Gaiman's the graveyard book so that's the first of my recommendations and because he is far too modest to mention it himself i am going to recommend that you make sure you download ian's two new podcasts yes as if you can't get enough of him there's more so ian has two podcasts on the go the first of them is called the electric sotcast which is a comedy podcast. So if you like a bit of political comedy, that's uh, definitely worth a listen, uh, which he does with his dear friend. Is he still back in Essex? He, we left him behind. He is. He's back in, back in Colchester, um, sort uh, of looking after the Colchester end of the operation. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So, yes, I'd certainly recommend that. And uh, Ian, I believe you also have a, uh, a Doctor Who-based uh, book podcast. Would you like to tell the listeners about that? So, yeah, um, because we don't seem to get very much new Doctor Who at the moment, um, I've been feeling a bit like it's a, a kind of new wilderness era, um, <laughs> which mentally sent me back to the wilderness era. era. Um, and I used to absolutely love the Virgin New Adventure novels and I also read a lot of the Eighth Doctor novels which were published by the BBC and what I'm doing is um, a new show where we go through them and just look at each book on its own merits in isolation um, and talk to lots of lovely people about um, about the book, about their fandom, their lives and how it all links up and that's called We're All Stories in the End Lovely. And your cat enjoys the podcast as well, <laughs> No, he just wants some chicken. Ah, okay. All right. We'll be done in a minute, Harvey. Don't worry. So, thank you for that. And Deb, yeah. what would you um, like to recommend for us? I listeners? recommend something silly, which is uh, if you want uh, oh, an audio uh, book that, well, it's a sort of book um, mm-hmm. on BBC Sounds that is very, very silly. It's Bleak Expectations. Um, and... Uh, it's just silly. It's nothing to do with, with, with sci-fi, but it's off this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also, I'm, I'm reading a, uh, an interesting book on my Kindle at the moment called uh, Winter Hill, The Wreath of Dreams. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. By someone called Ian Martin. Oh, mm. and is that a good mm. book? I don't know. Oh. I mean, it's too early. 
Yeah. yeah um, the jury's um, out. The jury's out. <laughs> well, if you could just uh, tweet us um, some kind of um, review for a future episode, Deb, that would be great. <laughs> and we'll read it out. And yeah. let the listeners know whether it's worth reading that book or not. Uh, I, I just started it and it does look fun and good. So mm. I'm enjoying it. Um, but, um, but also... Uh, uh, the, the series that I've been reading, probably someone else has already mentioned it, uh, Ben Aranovich, um, Rivers of London. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yes, um, there's quite a few of those now, isn't there? He's been doing those yeah. for quite a while. Yeah, good characters and good stories. and mm. Enjoyable. There's a bit of a Doctor Who link there as well. There is. The I thought series. I ought to do one. Yeah. Yeah, good job. Deb, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back. Thank you for inviting me back again. I, uh, I should keep up with them and, uh, and start giving feedback for the other episodes. Yes, well, you've made, you've made that pledge now. We've got it recorded, <laughs> so uh, I shall be uh, holding you to that. Uh, if our listeners would like to uh, experience your wit and wisdom, where can we find you? You're on, you're on the Twitters, aren't you? Twitter, yeah. Um, I Just uh, Lufty, at Lufty. <laughs> L-U-F-F-D-E-E it's yeah. usually me ranting about something yeah but in an, in an entertaining way in, Indy everyone's hmm. going to think I'm a heavy breather could you, could you I mean that's, that's within the character <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will be back next time with a trip to the moon base oh I thought it was home base oh I've read the wrong <laughs> Oh. I've bought I've bought grommets and everything. <laughs> oh. Actually I need some super glue. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassalon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at time and space pod, and you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music.